Welcome to the Freedom Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are investing in your relationship with the Lord by listening to this message. Check out our YouTube channel for a complete log of all of our sermons. If you would like to know more about FC, visit our website at www.freedomfamily.us. God bless and remember that the best is yet to come. Freedom Church. I'm glad y'all feel it too. Praise God. Some really cool stuff is happening in the kingdom of heaven as hearts are being prepared to receive new names being written in the Lamb's book of life as God's Holy Spirit is moving across our county, across our church. We are taking steps today in that direction by further jumping into the Ten Commandments. I'm so excited. You guys excited this morning? Yes. Okay, me too. Really, really cool stuff to talk about today. And so I want to give this a quick preface, and then I want to jump in. First off, I want to give honor where it is due. This podium, this pulpit right here, it's a sacred place because blood, sweat, and tears has been poured over it, emphatically expressing the gospel and the truth and the good news of Jesus Christ by our pastor, Pastor Terrell Somerville, and his wife, our First Lady, Miss Shanda. Can we hear it for them for their years of honor? Yes. I'm so grateful to encourage you guys and let you know that your pastor and your first lady are head over heels in love with you and they care so much for you and dive so deeply into scripture and into the depths. Everywhere that the Holy Spirit leads them, they go there on behalf of our church family to bring us honor and integrity and I'm so grateful for that. So we are going to jump into this uh, part of Exodus chapter 20. We're gonna start by reading verses four through six. This is the second commandment. I'm super excited about what what we're going to do because, okay, so here's the cool thing. You hear a lot of people talking about, well, that's the Old Testament. That was the old law. That was the old covenant. And the cool thing about Jesus is that he didn't come to abolish the old law. He came to fulfill the old law. This is still good teaching. This is still good and profitable. God breathed, useful as the scripture tells us, to learn, to grow, to be the men and women that God called us to be. And that is exactly the intention with which we are going to dig into this second commandment. So I want to get out of the way. The gospel doesn't need me. It doesn't need my encouragement or power to get through to the hearts of God's people. So I'm going to move out of the Holy Spirit's way. I'm going to let God's word do what it is here to do. And we are going to jump right into it. Quick word of prayer. Father, we give you this time. This is such an exciting thing to dig into the depths of through your Ten Commandments. God, the reason you gave it to your people, what your people did with it, and how we can respond to it faithfully today. Father, may your word implant deeply into our hearts. May these roots of the kingdom grow deeper into the fertile soil that is your word. Help us to draw nutrition from it. Help us to share that nutrition with others. Help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And ultimately, as a result, let no one who walks into this room a certain way, leave the same way, to leave unchanged by your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. All God's men and women said, amen. Amen. I love it. So without further ado, we're going to jump into Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, beginning at verse 4. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth 
or in the sea. Now, when it says in the heavens, it doesn't mean like literally the heavenly realm where the angels reside. It means the heavens as in the sky, the atmosphere, the sun, moon, and stars, and all the pretties that's between them as well, right? We understand what we mean when we say the heavens here. The heavens or on the earth or in the sea. Verse five, you must not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. So automatically we're given a heads up. This is a big deal, true or false? True, right. It's a big deal when we're talking about something that's going to affect our grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren, right? That's a big deal. So obviously this means a lot to God. We're going to look at some fun facts that surround this excerpt of the second commandment in just a moment, but I want to close up because God, God is not just content to leave us on a low note, right? He's not going to leave us on that unresolved sort of, eh, I don't feel good about this, you know, kind of, kind of beat, right? He's going to give us the truth, A, whether it feels good or not, but B, because it is fruitful, it is useful for us. So this is verse six, but... Y'all say, but. but. Yeah, I bet you didn't think I'd ask you to say that in church, did you? <laughs> but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations, way more than six, right? We're doing good math here? All right, a thousand generations. I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Okay, a lot of really cool things to unpack here. I first want to give you some fun facts, then I want to give you some context, and then we're going to jump in. Is that cool with you? That's good, because that's all I planned. All right, so... Um, so some fun facts about this little excerpt from the book of Exodus chapter 20. First off, this is the second longest commandment. This commandment covers three full verses. Most of the commandments from this excerpt only cover about a verse. The longest one covers four. The, this is also the only one of two commandments with a listed consequence. Okay, the third commandment promises potential punishment. This is also one of the only two commandments with a listed blessing. The fifth commandment promises a long and full life so long as you are honoring of your father and mother, right? But this also has a blessing attached to it. And then finally, I would say that the second of the Ten Commandments is arguably the most misunderstood of all of the Ten Commandments. Because, you know, we hear idol and like, do y'all do y'all know how tempted I was to call this sermon American Idol? Do y'all know? Okay, let me. This is this is a classic example of like, look, I know I might seem younger, but I'm genuinely out of touch. Let me let me share with you how I feel old quite often. So I'm I'm sitting here talking to Pastor T, and he's like, Hey, man, you should you should call it American Idol. And like, I was this close to doing it. And I was like, You know, I thought about calling it American Idol, but that just it doesn't feel right, you know, because it's like it's not even a popular show anymore. It's off the air. And he's like, Dude, where have you been? American Idol's been back for a couple seasons. And I'm like, I'm just. I, I don't know. I just, I, somewhere between a, a rock and not civilization. Like, I don't know. I don't have cable. I haven't had cable for like 15 years. I don't know what's going on as far as like, if it's not on my news feed, I really don't know it's happening. So, you know, praise God, there's that. So I had no idea American Idol was even back, if that gives you some context as to who you're dealing with right now. Um, I didn't know American Idol was back, but I, I think it's a neat idea to call the title. I've, I've titled the sermon, The Idols We Make. 
There's a reason I believe that the second commandment is the most misunderstood. It's because it's also often lumped in with the first commandment. Do you guys remember what Pastor T uh, brought the word on last week? Solid sermon preaching about the first commandment that you would have no other gods before me, right? That's commandment number one. And that goes right hand in hand with years later, the disciples of Jesus would go to Jesus and say, hey Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Okay, and Jesus' response is, well, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, depending on the translations you're reading, you get the gist. But then he says the second most important commandment, and equally as important as the first, is this, to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Good. I hear my freed youth people over here. You guys see me sporting the shirt? You guys see this sweet Pac-Man freed youth shirt? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's pretty cool. My, some of... Some of our youth, they actually picked this out. There was like a dozen different shirts, and they all unanimously decided that Waka Waka over here, the, the Pac-Man guy, was the winner, which, again, blew my mind because I'm 35, and I'm thinking, these kids don't know who Pac-Man is. Well, apparently they do because they loved it. So goes to show you, you never really know. Praise God. We're going to go on a few rabbit trails. That's a result of having a pastor with ADHD. So we're, we're going to take these rabbit trails. I guarantee we'll eventually come back maybe. But once we get back to the point at hand, then we'll carry on from that point. I appreciate you guys taking the journey with me. I, I hope, I pray, I'm faithful that it's by the leading of the Holy Spirit. So we're, we're going to take this adventure together. Let me give you some context about these, these 10 commandments, okay? You have the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. They're in 400 years of Egyptian slavery. Do you know how long 400 years is? It's a bunch, okay? I'm just gonna throw it out there. It's a bunch. Um, it hasn't been 400 years since... Seven, okay, don't, yeah, no, bad math. Anyway, here's the point. They had just been freed from 400 years of slavery under the Egyptians. And then they're finally freed. They're out from underneath the blanket of slavery. They get free. They get to a river. Then they realize their captors are right behind them. They're like, no takesies, backsies, right? We're gonna, we're gonna, we, we take it back. We're gonna bring y'all back to slavery. And they're like, God, you gotta do something. So God parts the water, right? After all of the, the pestilence and famine and all the other plagues that hit to influence the nation of Israel finally being released from Egypt, then they had the waters parted so they could walk on dry land. The waters crushed around the Egyptian guards and they were again freed. Well, now they're in the desert. And God leads them by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, right? Just amazing signs and wonders. And then they're griping, saying we're hungry, so God makes it rain manna. And then they gripe about that, and they're like, we're hungry for something else. What else you got, Dad? We don't want ramen tonight. We don't want chicken nuggies tonight. We don't want, okay, I'm sorry, I'm projecting. Listen, here's, as a parent, you guys have heard these, these things from your children, right? What do you want? Uh, exclusively anything we don't have here at the house, right? That that is how things go. Or it's like, you know, you're on your way. It's like, oh, let's get some McNuggets. And we're like, we've got McNuggets at home. And they're like, but they're shaped like dinosaurs. And like, I'm like, yeah, but they were only a dollar. Like, you know what, praise God. You know, the, the important thing is we're, we're not unfamiliar with kids never being fully satisfied. Right? Yeah. I didn't hear what you said, but I believe it was good. So um, I'm just, I'm just going to roll with it. Praise God. But 
ironically, God tells us to come to him as children, doesn't he? But we understand it seems like kids are never satisfied, ever. You know, you give them something, they want more. Can you imagine that perhaps that is how God the Father wants us to come to him? Think about this. God gives us something, this amazing salvation. What would happen if God's children came to him and said, yes, God, I want more? Whatever you have for me, I want more of that. I want more, whatever you've got. I know you're a giver of good gifts. Whatever you got for me, it's what I need. You think perhaps that might be the the direction that God wants us to lean when he instructs us to come to him as children? How kids are never satisfied? Now, to be fair and to be honest as parents, we know that our children are not these beautiful, perfect, sinless, uh, errorless little balls of perfection, right? They're they're humans. They're just like us. They're little usins. Little usins, you know, running around. So if we're a little messed up, they're like very little messed up, you know? And they're like us. So they're not only going to want more, they're going to want more and specifically something that you can't provide at that moment. Kids will be like that sometimes. Right? True? False? Well, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, were just exactly like this. They're like, God, we want more. We're hungry. God's like, I'll feed you. And we're like, yeah, we want something else. Have anything else? Okay, but you can't hold on to it. Like, don't try to save this. It'll go bad. Okay, you got it, boss. Immediately tries to save it. Immediately goes bad. Why did it go bad? Because I told you it would. God's a promise keeper, right? He tells us things. He keeps that promise. So we skip ahead. Finally, the nation goes, we need direction. God needs to give us direction. And God's like, okay, these things should be obvious, but I'm gonna go ahead and throw these out there. So in this incredible act of honoring the request of his children whom he loves, we see the 10 commandments be produced. We see Moses come down with these tablets that we know as the 10 commandments. So we're given the first commandment, which is you'll have no other gods before me. And then the second commandment, which is the one about idolatry. But there's a, there's a lot happening here in idolatry. I believe it's the most misunderstood of all of the commandments because it is so subtle. When we think of idols, what comes into mind? Oh, little stone carvings of animals that people make an altar to and they bow down and they worship. And, you know, what, what does that look like? Well, I think if we're going to understand idolatry, we need to first understand worship. We need to understand how worship works because I think that's another thing that we misunderstand too. So let's look at the actual term for worship, right? And so verse five says you must not bow down to them or worship them, right? So what is, what is them? How do we worship them? So the word worship in the Hebrew is abad, A-B-A-D, hope I pronounced that right. Interesting thing though, the term for worship used here in the Old Testament is the exact same term for the word serve, Worship and serve are the same word in Hebrew. Chew on that for just a minute. For just a minute. When we worship God, we are in fact fulfilling a mandate to serve God. I heard a pastor say one time that obedience is the highest form of worship. Right? When we respond to God by walking the same direction as him, when we respond to God by throwing up our sails and allowing his wind to carry us a direction, that's worship, right? In its purest sense. 
It means in the Hebrew to bound yourself in servitude of or to become dependent upon. That's worship, that's servitude. So we understand what worship is. Now let's look at how we refocus this. Well, I believe what Exodus is warning us against is a three-step process that happens to us often, right? We observe, then we settle, and then we worship. Right? As a people, when sin entered into human history, immediately it also introduced with it a worship problem. Because we're worshipers by nature. We were designed to worship. Do you guys know this? We were literally built to worship. So whether we want to or not, we're actually worshiping all the time. The question is, who or what are we worshiping? And how do we identify that? Well, first off, how do we even know that we're worshipers? Well, it's literally a part of our design. Genesis tells us that we were created in God's what? Image and likeness, okay? And what do we know about God's image and likeness? Well, we know about a father, we know about a son, and we know about a Holy Spirit, right? We understand God eternally existing as these three persons. In no better example in all of scripture do we get a nicer, cleaner, more wonderful snapshot of this than at the baptism of Jesus at the hands of John the baptizer, right, his cousin. It comes to him, John says, no, 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 I'm, I'm not worthy of this. You need to be baptizing me. And Jesus reminds him, dude, we've got some prophecy to fulfill here. We've got some work to do, right? Throwing up his sails to go the direction of God's wind, right? Because common sense says, your God become a man, I should not be the one baptizing you. But obedience says you might be God become a man, but prophecy says you need to be baptized for your pilgrimage to begin. And so that's exactly what took place. He's baptizing Jesus, and in this moment, you hear a voice come from the heavens saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Holy Spirit in the form of the dove, or the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, descends upon him, and here you get the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in this one beautiful moment. You see obedience, you see worship taking place in this context of this moment. So if we're to walk in Christ's footsteps, if we're to appropriately bear the image and likeness that God has graced us with, and he's graced us with this, amen, right? Then our response is simply to worship. Now, if we're not looking up, and if we're not worshiping God, then what are we doing? We're observing, we're looking around. And it talks about making a graven image or worshiping an image of something rather than the creator, right? Scripture promises again that there will come a generation where people have replaced worship of the creator for worship of the creation. It's prophesied, it's happening all over the place. But the thing is, these idols, they're sneaky. They're not these stone carvings that we lay at an altar anymore. Now instead of an altar, we have our bedside, and instead of our carvings, we have these little tablets. We have these other little idols that tell us how to think, that tell us how to feel, that give us value, that encourage our identity. Is this sounding familiar? This is worship, isn't it? But, but it, can, it can even go beyond this, because I think this is the easiest example of an idol to point out. But what I want us to recognize first is that there's the observation, there's the world around us. This has become our portal of observation. This is how most of us interact with the world around us in 2022. It's not here, field of vision, 
relationships, that's all too uncommon. It's mostly through this. Would you agree? Reluctantly, right? I'm not excited about it either, but let's be realistic. This is how most people interact with the world around them. So if this is the portal that you observe things through, then you settle. You find something that gives you your identity, something that gives you hope, something that completes you, something that makes you whole, something that makes you feel like who you are, that you are wrapped up in, your idol. Whether that's followers, whether that's how viral you've gone, whether it's in your bank account, we're gonna cover all of these things. But I need you guys to understand that when we observe, if we choose something, anything that is not God, we're settling. We're settling for less than what God wants for us, less than what God has for us, less than what God intends for us, less than what God designed us for, and less than what God asked us to pursue. And we have the audacity to stand back and go, God, why? Why did that person leave me? Did they leave you as the failure or did you choose wrong? Right? Why did this person let me down? Did you give them something they weren't capable of handling? Right? Because when we settle, we both place too much pressure on something and we don't give enough credit to what God fulfills and only he can fulfill within us. So what happens? It lets us down. We get hurt. It is inadequate. It is insufficient. It fails. And sometimes we absorb that failure. Sometimes we throw that failure onto someone else and make them feel terrible. But there's only one person who can handle the pressure of completing us, of making us whole, and his name is Jesus. But there is a roaring lion consuming whom he may devour. There is a father of all lies that would do everything he can to convince you to settle for something less than Jesus. I'm telling you this as someone who has settled before and who paid the price. I'm sure many of you, to greater or lesser degrees, have also settled at some point in time, and you felt the sting. But much like the children of Israel, who should have been reeling off of freedom from 400 years of captivity, still managed to find the time to gripe still managed to find the time to complain about how good things were. But we're not so unlike that. God does great and wonderful things for us, and then we turn right around immediately, and in all of our feel-goodness, settle for something less. So what I want to do is I want to take a beat, and I want to talk about some of the three major idolatry temptations that exist, particularly for us within the church. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. The potential temptations to form an idol out of something good will exist on any number of levels, particularly wherever Satan decides your weak point is or your soft spot is, right? But we need to be diligent to defend against these things. I'm not giving you an exhaustive list. I'm giving you three, possibly four, depending on how much time we have, but for sure at least three examples that Satan uses, and we're gonna turn these into sort of uh, uh, bridging points to sort of understand some more overarching attempts of the enemy. So are you guys with me on this? 
Are we good? All right, we got three things. If we do well on time, possibly four. I'm pretty excited about the fourth one, so I'm hoping we get there. First thing, it is important for us to understand that Satan's greatest attempt in allowing us to accept an idol onto ourselves is to first convince us that something is good, right? That's the first thing he does, is he reinforces the truth at first. And the truth at first is that something is good. Let me give you an example of some good things we're going to cover. Finding a spouse, that's a very good thing, right? Finding a godly spouse you can be bound with and you can seek the throne of God together with. Very good thing. Children, right? A quiver full. We talk about this. You know, very good thing. You know, you want to talk about Money, right? If God blesses you financially, gives you the ability to bless others and to do more for others, that's a good thing, right? The problem is, is when we as people, we observe a good thing, a godly thing even, and we make it into a God thing, as in a thing that we worship instead of the creator himself. We settle even with things that are good. So I want to cover this first one first. The spouse. Let's talk about idolatry with our spouses. Now, this also counts for you single people because the idea of a spouse can also become an idol. The idea that you need to get married or you need to find your significant other or you need to start a family, that can also be used as an idol. That can be the reason that you are trying to draw closer to God, the reason that you are trying to get healthy, the reason if those things are your motivators, you're settling. We are settling. Here's an excerpt from Song of Solomon, beginning at chapter two, verses eight through 12. Ah, I hear my lover coming. He is leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is like a swift gazelle or a young stag. Look, here he is behind the well, looking through the window, peering into the room. My lover said to me, rise up, my darling. Come away with me, my fair one. Look, the winter is past and the rains are over and gone. The flowers are springing up. The season of singing birds has come and the cooling of turtle doves fills the air. <laughs> A stirring rendition, truly. That's a little gratuitous, but thank you. Um, why did I read that like that? Because that sounds like a Hallmark card that went on too long, doesn't it? Like, it's like, oh, my dear, leaping over thine own, blah, blah, right? It's, it's all very touching, and it's very moving, and it's very pretty, and it's also very not always what a marriage looks like, right? Yeah. Not always what a marriage looks like. It's not always rainbows and butterflies. It's not always sunshine and roses and, hey, Sweeney. <laughs> Sometimes it's the toilet seat was up again. You know, like, it, it can be, right? There's, there can be different postures when discussing wedded bliss. But even still, even still, it can be a major temptation to put all your hopes and dreams in your best friend. It can be a major temptation to put the weight of your legacy, the weight of your joy, the weight of your hopes and promises for the future on another human being. They might be wonderful and they might be great and they were most likely given to you by God, but understand they are not God. Their shoulders are not strong enough to carry the weight of your hopes and dreams. 
Their arms are not bulky enough to carry your identity. Their heart cannot span the distance between you and the sin that separates you from God. They might love you immensely, but they cannot fix you. They cannot cure you, and they cannot make you happy. Keep that in mind. Marriage does not exist to make you happy. Marriage, in fact, exists to make you holy. That's why it's there. And we, we hear this a lot. Well, we just fell out of love. Is that true, or did we fall out of repentance? Did we stop saying, I love you, or did we stop saying, I'm sorry? And meaning it. hate that I have to say that, but I do. See, when we put all this pressure on another person for us to feel whole, there's a name for that. It's called codependence. And we put all of our hopes and dreams in someone that was never made to fulfill our hopes and dreams. The fulfiller of our hopes and dreams is watching us, trying to give us our hopes and dreams, but we're saying, no thank you, I've settled. Even if you've settled for something that's good, you haven't settled for something that's God. And we need to remember this, we need to recognize this. Our spouses are a gift from God, but not a replacement for the gift giver. We still need him, first and foremost. And you will find, inevitably, I found in my life, if I've ever struggled to draw closer to my bride, what I often needed to do to successfully accomplish this is let go of the dream of struggling to draw closer to my bride, instead, draw closer to my God, and if it's not the darndest thing, we didn't find ourselves closer together as a result. That's the way a triangle works. The closer you draw to the top, the closer you find yourselves together. That's God. (laughs) See, God's been really, really good to us. I've got this uh, interesting quote. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this author. Her name is uh, Melody Beattie. She wrote this book that's kind of the gold standard on recovering from codependence. It's called Codependent No More. She has a quote from this. She says the following. Ever since people first existed, they have been doing all the things we label, quote, codependent. They have worried themselves sick about other people. They have tried to help in ways that didn't help. They have said yes when they meant no. They have tried to make other people see things their way. They have bent over backwards, avoiding hurting people's feelings, and in so doing, have hurt themselves. They have been afraid to trust their feelings. They have believed lies and then felt betrayed. They have wanted to get even and punish others. They have felt so angry. They have struggled with their feel, uh, sorry, they have struggled for their rights while other people say they didn't have any. They have worn sackcloth because they didn't believe they deserved silk. Now, this is coming from a secular author. Even still, has kind of helped define the gold standard of codependence. But that last line they have worn sackcloth because they don't believe that they deserve to wear silk. But the king of kings wants to clothe you in something so much finer than silk. He wants to clothe you in royal 
garb that is more than just dressed well. It's dressed righteously. It's dressed in holiness. It is the kind of righteousness that not only covers up, but casts away all of our unrighteousness. It is the truest form of who we were made to be, but we have to receive Jesus in order to acquire that. And the moment we settle for anything else, no matter how good, you must understand that either immediately or eventually it will bring dissatisfaction. You will wind up emptier than what you started, and you will find yourself ultimately and only fulfilled by returning to the garment that Christ wants to put over you. That is his blood. That is his righteousness. That is his holiness. That is his love for you, and if we settle for anything less, it will fail us 100% of the time. And in so doing, it might even cause you to fail someone that you care most about because your expectations of them were unrealistic, and they tried because they love us. And this is how we honor God's command to us. We don't make an idol out of the people closest to us. And I extend that beyond our spouse. Let's talk also about our children. What happens when these beautiful little reflections of us that keep us up late at night and have us stretching our bank accounts to the max to please and encourage and build a life for and everything else that we're trying to do to love these kids well, no matter how much they gripe about it. And we're just like, oh, do you see the little sass that she just showed? That's so you. Oh, that's so your mother. Isn't that so sweet? That's beautiful, right? But we put these little people that are wonderful and that are good and that are a blessing and we put them up on a pedestal. And say, okay, now you accomplish everything I failed to. Right? Or you accomplish all these things that I'm too far past my prime to do. Or let me live vicariously through you. Let me just put all these expectations on you. Let me just put all these super specific hopes and dreams on you. Let me burden you with the things that I can't be burdened of myself. We do this, don't we? to our babies, to our little ones. It's because we love them, we want good for them, right? What loving parent doesn't want better for their kid than what they themselves had? Best of intentions, right? But we put too much on them. Sometimes we might even look at our kids to redeem our legacy. But when we look at how dishonoring God and making idols out of other things, whether it's coming home and playing video games instead of playing with the kids, or whether it's being really, really into our jobs and missing their childhood, missing the love that we can offer our spouse, right? There's a lot of things that suddenly start to slip into that idle position, and it might have started off as a desire to be a good provider, or it started off as a desire to just do better than your parents before you. Whatever it looks like, keep in mind, anything can be an idol, and Satan is all too happy to take something good that God gave you and make you worship it and thus make it a God thing. He would love to turn all of your blessings into stumbling blocks, wouldn't he? But he can't do it for you, right? There's gotta be some participation. And you, if you resist the enemy by the power of God's holy word, he only has one option, doesn't he? He has to flee. He has to get out of your way. But we start here with the commandments. Then finally, money. 
very common pitfall. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with having uh, good financial practices. There's nothing wrong with having lots of money. But if you remember, there was a guy that came to Jesus and he was a very wealthy man. He says, Jesus, I've done so much for the kingdom and I've done so much for the poor and I've done so much for you. What more can I do? Look at me, Jesus. Look at how good of a Christian I'm being. What more can I do? And of course, Jesus knows. He sees what's going on in his head. He said, okay, cool. Sell everything you own, give it to the poor, take up your cross and follow me. What happened? Sad Charlie Brown music. Do, 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 do. Right? Dude's like slow, sad walked off stage left. He was bummed out. All this money, all of his wealth, all of his power, probably all of his friends that hung around because he had money also. Moochers. Maybe they were all about to disappear and that suddenly made him really upset. Why? Because his money was his identity. And Jesus knew it. And he illustrated it this way. He said, I'm telling you now, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That sounds bleak, doesn't it? That sounds really dark. But we must understand to appreciate the context of this. Because the punchline to many of the things Jesus says is that through man, yes, this is impossible, but through God, all things are possible. Don't you think that by God, a camel could in fact pass through the eye of a needle? Of course. He's God, right? He could make a thousand camels pass through the single eye of a needle, followed by the entire universe. Why? Because he's God. He can do that. But the culmination of this was how difficult it is and how large of a temptation, even for good people, and I'm using that term loosely, for godly people, for church-going people, to fall astray and to put their hopes in the wrong things, to settle for the creation instead of the creator. So I'll close it off with this. The temptation for idolatry is vast. There are no limits on it. Satan will do anything he can to get you to pull your attention away from the creator and instead to focus and give glory to and depend upon things that are not capable of delivering that to you whether it's a person, whether it's a thing, whether it's any entity that isn't God, it's wrong. And it's not wrong because God said so. I mean, if it were, that would be enough. But these commandments, man, they're intensely practical. It's not just a list of rules that's like, okay, do these things so you can stay out of hell. That's not it. This is a loving God saying, hey, I made you so I know how to keep you. I designed you a certain way so I know what's gonna breathe the most life into you. Here are the things. Don't do these, do these. Why? Because I made you this way. I love you. I'm giving you instructions of maintenance. But we don't like reading instructions all the time, do we? We wanna do things our way. As long as what we build comes out close enough, that's good enough. But again, we're settling we're settling for good enough, and God only made us for him. God only made us for the best. So if you're here this morning, and you've never received the best, 
where you don't know if you've received the best. You don't know where your standing is with Jesus. You don't know where the walk is. You're, you're sort of struggling between, okay, is this a sin? Is this not a sin? It's all these semantic conversations keep bogging you down. If you're, if you're bothered or worried or uncertain, I encourage you, please don't walk out of here the same way that you walked in. There's no reason at all for any person in this room to walk out of here without absolute certainty that they have a relationship with the King of Kings, that their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that should today be their last day, that tomorrow would surely be spent in paradise, in heaven, with Jesus. There's no reason for anyone to walk out of here without that absolute certainty in your mind. So this would be my encouragement. With heads bowed and eyes closed, these promises of the second commandment, all of the promises of these commandments were lovingly given to us by a savior that longs for our freedom, by a savior that longs for our wholeness, by a savior that longs for our joy. But because he's a gentleman, he is not going to force his way into anyone's heart. He is not going to demand your obedience. He's gonna ask for your trust. And I'm gonna tell you guys something. We can call it whatever we want to, but when we trust, we listen. If we're not listening, we're not trusting. We're trusting ourselves, we're trusting logic, we're trusting what our buddies tell us, we're trusting what our past has shown us. But if we trust God, we're gonna do things we've never done before. We're gonna experience things we've never experienced before, but we're also going to accomplish things we've never accomplished before. We're gonna be the people we've never been before, but God created us to be. So I encourage you, join us, because we're all on this journey together. None of us have made it, None of us have perfected it. None of us have 100% figured it out. But we are taking step by step, day by day, faithfully into the hands of the Father. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, To trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So this morning, let's make straight our paths. Let's follow his direction. Let's hear from him. Say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your sacrifice. And thank you for being everything I need. Help me to rely on you. Help me not to rely on others. Help me not to rely on things. And do not let my identity be found in anything or anyone besides you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me whole. Make me new. And help me to walk in your grace by your Holy Spirit every single day. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
I wanna encourage you guys, if you said that prayer today for the very first time, please come find me, come find one of our pastors, talk to us um, in, the, in the coffee bar area or back here at the front desk. We want to know about it because we wanna get you set up with the Bible. We wanna pray over you, we wanna get you set up with a mentor. This next step, this is discipleship. Don't walk away satisfied with an experience. Hear me now. Do not walk away satisfied with an experience. Instead, seek genuine relationship. That is how we grow, church family, amen? Is that how we grow? Through relationship, amen? Yes. I wanna thank you guys so much for, for joining us this morning. We have a video we want you guys to see. If you will please turn your attentions to the side screen.